I just kind of want to take it right now. Should I start now? Yeah, you can go now. Okay, let's get started. Find your seats, please. Go a little faster if you want. <laughs> okay. Welcome to church. My name is Colin Maxwell. Uh, I'm going to be speaking you, to you today about Isaiah. So if you've been coming in the last couple Sundays, we've been going through Isaiah from start to finish. My brother-in-law Paul preached last week. He did a great job. And I'm following up. So uh, if you want to follow along, open up your Bible to Isaiah chapter 13 and find verse 9. Isaiah 13, verse 9. So, first of all, how's everybody doing? You guys feel good? Good. Are you going to ask how I'm doing? Um. So let's set the stage and we're going to dive right in. So Isaiah is a very important book in the Old Testament. Isaiah was a prophet. God chose him. He gave him a message to deliver to the Israelites. Um, he gave him visions. He gave him, um, he gave him lots of things to do. He was an important dude. So at this point, Isaiah has had his vision of the throne room. God commissioned him. Uh, he's given amazing prophecies about like a savior that was going to come and be the king of Israel and the salvation to all these people. And now we get to the, the middle of Isaiah, which most people that read their Bibles like to get through as quickly as possible because it's the part of the Bible that's a little difficult to read. But in doing this, I hope you're going to find a lot of profit or um, benefit in studying these things. I know that I did, so I just would ask that you guys have an open mind and you open your hearts to just see what God tells us through this really difficult part of the Bible. So, to participate with me, you have to picture yourself as Isaiah. So, hi. So you would be like me, you know, I'm the prophet Isaiah right now, and I'm in front of my people with a message to give to God. And it's not an easy message to deliver. So have you ever, you just got to get your mind in that state of like, you're getting ready to sort of bring bad news to people. Now, the message that Isaiah was commissioned with at this point was he was going to deliver a prophecy against the kingdom of Babylon. Now, who's heard of Babylon here? Put up your fingy. The first time I heard of it was in the song by Boney M, by the rivers of Babylon. That's how I learned about it. But in the Bible... They're like an enemy of Israel. They're an adversary to the plans and purposes of God. So God sees Babylon as an enemy, and he gives Isaiah this message to speak to them. So, like I say, if you are reading along, we're going to be starting at Isaiah 13, verse 9. So this is the word. <clears throat> it says this. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel, with fury and burning anger, to make the land a desolation, and he will exterminate its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. 
The sun will be dark when it rises, and the moon will not shed its light. Thus I will punish the world for its evil, and the wicked for their iniquity. I will also put an end to the arrogance of the proud, and abase the haughtiness of the rulers. I will make mortal man scarcer than pure gold, and mankind than the gold of Ophir. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble, and the earth will be shaken from its place at the fury of the Lord of hosts. In that day of his burning anger, and it will be, uh, it will be that like a hundred gazelle, or like sheep with none to gather them. They will each turn to his own people, and each one flee to his own land. Anyone who is found will be thrust through. Anyone who is captured will fall by the sword. Their little ones will also be dashed to pieces before their eyes. Their houses will be plundered and their wives ravished. Now, this is God, okay, saying this. This is very difficult. This is the God that I like to refer to that people argue like when I'm in a discussion with somebody that's not believing, this is who they bring up. This is who they don't want to follow. This is who they don't want to go to a church to learn about. It's very difficult to um, talk about this side of our Father in Heaven. So he delivers, he gives this word to Isaiah to deliver as a warning. Now, let's jump ahead to Isaiah 14, verse 12. We go from warning, a word of warning, to uh, God describing what the consequences are going to be if they don't repent. So this is what he's going to do, and then he goes on to further describe the consequences. Now Isaiah 13 is speaking towards the nation of Babylon. Isaiah 14, it's speaking to one person, the king of Babylon. Okay, so this is God saying this is what the consequences are going to be if you don't repent. It says this, starting at verse 12. <clears throat> How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth. You who have weakened the nations, but you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will make myself like the most high. And here's the consequence. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you, they will ponder over you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world like a wilderness and overthrew its cities, who did not allow the prisoners to go home? All the kings of the nations lie in glory, each in his own tomb, but you have been cast out of your tomb like a rejected branch, clothed with the slain who are pierced with a sword, who go down to the stones of the pit like a trampled corpse, you will not be united with them in burial because you have ruined your country. You have slain your people. May the offspring of evildoers be mentioned, not be mentioned forever. Prepare for his sons a place of slaughter because of the iniquity of their fathers. They must not arise and take possession of the earth and will face the world with cities. So, wow. Thanks for the assignment, Pastor Greg. <laughs> But it's good. I'm glad I looked into this. And I think um, you guys are going to be happy that you did as well. So, like I say, this is an aspect of God that's difficult to deal with. It's a side of God that people like to throw 
in our face when they're explaining to us why we shouldn't follow him, because he's cruel. He even says, I'm going to be cruel, because he's judgmental, because he separates people, because he sends people to hell. This is an aspect of God that is very difficult to want to talk about when we're trying to convince people that it's good news to follow Jesus. Oh man, it's so loving and church is nice and there's all these good people. But what do we do with this God of the Old Testament? Well, that's the question that we're going to face today and uh, I hope you guys like where we end up. So, God gave the message to Isaiah. He had the message of a savior, but he also had to deliver this message today. Now, in those days, there was one prophet at a time. But since Jesus and the advent of the Holy Spirit, anyone that believes is a messenger of God. Each one of us has the uh, ability and obligation to be a prophet, to be a messenger of God's uh, kingdom. Right? I want to read a verse, um, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. It says this, Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So, if we're the messengers now, what's our responsibility with that side of God? Well, what I want to say today, what I want to put forward, is that if you see the things that he's saying as a threat, then you're not going to want to talk about it. But if you see it as a loving warning, then it reframes what he's saying. And I want to just tell a quick story that illustrate my point. It was about 15 years ago, actually more. I lived in Kelowna, and it was in the middle of winter. I didn't have a job, and so I, was, I had tons of free time. And my best friend, his dad uh, and his mom and him, they were going out of town. And he phoned me and he said, my mom and, mom and dad want you to house sit. We need somebody to take care of Amber, which was their golden retriever dog. And so I said, yeah, I'd love to. I love going to their house. They had a hot tub. It was a big house. It was a chance for me to be there by myself for a couple days. And I thought, oh, this is going to be sweet. I totally needed a vacation because I was unemployed. And, <laughs> you know. But I was excited. So I go over. He says, my dad wants to just give you a little run through. So come on over and then we're going to leave. I say, yeah, yeah, sure, fine. I've been there a hundred times. And uh, so Mr. Swansea was his name, great guy, high school principal. He always pretended to like me. He walks me around his house and he says, okay, you know, Colin, you got to give Amber her medication because the dog was a little sick. I said, okay, yeah, sure. And he says, okay, and do this. There's some food. And then we're walking around. We get to the hot tub. And he's like, and you can use the hot tub. He said, and I'm like, oh, sweet. That's what I'm waiting for. I couldn't wait to use the hot tub. And uh, <clears throat> he said, but don't turn the jets on because there's a problem with the breaker, and if you turn the jets on, it'll blow the breaker, and the hot tub won't work. I'm like, yeah, yeah, fine. <laughs> and uh, he goes, no, don't turn the jets on. Make sure you don't turn them on. I'm like, yes, I know. I wanted to get them out of there. <laughs> so anyways, they leave. I uh, have a nice dinner with Amber, the dog. I make her some food, and I have a little sandwich. And then the sun goes down. It's getting late. I watch a movie or whatever. It sounds pretty exciting, I know. And uh, it's time for a hot tub. So this is in Kelowna. I don't know if you guys know where that is, but it's in the interior of BC. So they have what I like to say like a proper Canadian winter there. And sometimes it'll get like minus 10, minus 15, minus 20. This was a cold winter. It was about minus 20 outside. So it was, it was cold. And so it makes the hot tub a little funner. So you, 
I scurry out there and I get in, I have my little drink and I'm just relaxing. I think, oh, this is the life. I'm relaxing and then I think, what'll make this better? How about some jets? <laughs> so I reach over, press the button, lean my head back and I'm in heaven. So relaxed was I that I fell asleep in the hot tub. And this is at about midnight. The next thing I know, I'm waking up to Amber, my hero, barking in my face. She had gotten out of the house somehow to wake me up because I was in the hot tub, like freezing to death, essentially. I was so cold that I had lowered my, my face down there so like, oh, like the most of my body could be under the water because it was just so cold. And Amber was barking, she woke me up and saved me because I was in like a cold coma. Anyways, getting out of that hot tub, and it was about the distance from here to the wall to get into the house in minus 20 when I was already like super cold was one of the most difficult journeys of my entire life. <laughs> I had to like, you know, plan every step out because I forgot a towel as well. And so, it's brutal. And anyways, I'm even like thinking maybe if I hold the dog, it'll be like, what? <laughs> anyways, I go inside. And I was sick immediately. I got a pneumonia from the whole ordeal. I was so sick for weeks. Anyways, Mr. Swansea comes home. And of course, the hot tub's freezing. I'm lying in bed, wrapped up in all these blankets. And he's like, did you turn the jets on? And I said, yeah, I did. And he, he just shook his head. And then they had to give me a ride home because I was so sick. So let me ask you this question. Oh, the moral of the story is they never asked me to house sit again. <laughs> Let me ask you this question. Was Mr. Swansea cruel for placing me in exile of, of his house? He gave me fair warning. I chose to ignore it. So I suffered the consequences and you can't say that he was the bad guy. It was me, okay? If he hadn't have warned me about the Jets, and I pressed the button and that happened, you'd be like, man, he should have told you, what a horrible guy. But he went out of his way to tell me not once, but twice, okay? So do you guys understand the point that I'm trying to get across? What I believe in the Old Testament when God is saying these things, he's not trying to be cruel. He's not trying to threaten us. He's trying to give us a warning about how he feels about sin and what its consequences are. It has to be said clearly for it to be fair. And it has to be fair because God is a God of justice. It's intrinsic to his character. He never deviates from being just. And if he didn't give us fair warning about exactly what would happen to us if we didn't repent from sin, then it'd be a violation of his character. Are you guys with me? So, in this day and age, like I say, we're not standing on a hill in front of Israelites talking about Babylon, but we're talking to non-Christians about Jesus and the cross. We're hoping that they'll make a decision to follow Christ. And in doing so, sometimes it means having a warning or being clear about the consequences. What I talk about a lot now with the people that I do life with and disciple is that they say they don't talk about those aspects. They don't talk about hell. They don't talk about sin. They don't talk about anything like that because it's a huge barrier for people that don't believe in Jesus to even continue in the conversation. So they just avoid it.
But here's the pattern that I'm noticing with the people that I talk to. People that reject Jesus, they're not, when they reject, they're not saying, okay, it's either Jesus or hell. Sorry to say it. They're saying it's either Jesus or I'll just be fine and go on like normal. It's either join a church or just keep being fine. There's no consequence in the gospel. And what I'm trying to say is that there's a problem with that because it's unfair to the people that would hear about Jesus for the first time that they wouldn't understand what's at stake from the perspective of the Bible. We're responsible for that message. We're responsible to bring what's in here to people so that they, that they can make a clear decision based on facts, based on truth, I should say. So, we don't see God saying the same things as he did in the time of Isaiah. We have the Gospels now, these beautiful sermons from Jesus. And it would seem sometimes that Jesus sort of fixed God or tamed him or he changed the God of the Old Testament. But I'm here to say that, sorry, that's not true. God's position on sin has not changed. It's still a total outrage to him. It's still the thing that separates anybody from being with him. The difference now is that we have a better covering. We have a better solution. In, um, bear with me here. Yeah, 2 Peter 3, verse 9. It says this, talking about judgment. It says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some understand slowness. But he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. Okay, so this is an amazing age of decision for people where God's delaying his wrath, which inevitably will come. He has to deal with sin on earth. But he's made this time from, from when Jesus was on earth to whenever the end is going to be for us to make a decision. He's delaying that wrath so that we can consider the gospel, so that we can understand the consequences of rejecting God and we can make a decision from it. And listen, when you say it like that, when you understand it from that perspective, it sounds very fair, okay? To me, it sounds just. It's hard to hold that against God because he's presented it so clearly that we only need to respond to it, not decide if it's, if it's uh, mean-spirited or not. So, like I say, God's position on sin is unchanged. Only now we have a complete covering, okay? And that's in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's in the work of his sacrifice. It says in Hebrews, he, uh, it talks about like the system before Jesus, where it was every month or every week, priests had to go to the altar and they had to sacrifice animals and blah, blah, blah. They had to repeat this process to keep cleansing the sin of their people over and over and over again. And in Hebrews, it says that Jesus did this once and for all. Okay, God gave his son to be this once and for all sacrifice. That if we accept it, God doesn't excuse our sin, but we abide in Jesus and he covers our sin. Okay, does this make sense? Thank you. So, Jesus, our perfect covering for these things. Now, um, <clears throat> there's a quote that I like by Robert Louis Stevenson says this, everybody sooner or later sits down to a banquet of consequences. There's a consequence to the way that we do our outreach. 
there's a consequence when we refuse the gospel to people. I want to be very clear that I'm not asking you every time you speak to somebody and share your faith with them to be like, you'll burn! Like, really guys, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is don't omit it if the, if the Holy Spirit is prompting you towards it. It's like, um, like a tool in your toolkit. It's a facet of God that's harder to talk about, but it doesn't mean it should be ignored, okay? Some people might be waiting to hear that message, and some people might not. This is where we have to be responsive to the Holy Spirit. So, this message is a reminder to you that, what, like to the believers that are here, that God has chosen you as his instrument to get his word out to the world. That it's because of his son that we can have a right relationship to him. That it's because of um, what he did on the cross that we can be made right with God. Romans, um, excuse me. Romans 6.23 says this. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So it's a very different message if we just say half of it. You can't just say the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus, and it's not the same to just say the wages of sin is death. But when those two things are true together, we see God in a different light. So don't omit things just because you're scared to talk about them. Moving on. So, like I say, instead of wrath, instead of judgment, people that believe in Jesus, they have this covering. And that's the message that I would encourage you guys to share with your friends. Don't use it as a way, like God's consequences, as a way to manipulate people or threaten. Instead, just use it as a clear way to communicate what's at stake. Consider the cost of not telling somebody about, about these things. So... My final part of this in conclusion is I just want to bring my warning to you guys, what I had on my heart to speak to you. And so I just want to share a story that's made a huge impact on my life. And uh, I hope that you'll, you'll take, anyways, I hope you'll like it. But first I want to read these verses to just frame it. Romans 10 verse 14 says this, How can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone to preach? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now just again, and how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? I take that verse very seriously on a personal level. This story is from a few years ago. Um, I was at a concert late one night. And... Uh, it was like a Tuesday or whatever. It was at UBC. And I went with a bunch of my friends from high school, some guys that I'd known for a long time. And it was like a Kelowna reunion at this concert. There was people popping up everywhere that went to my high school, people that I, I hadn't seen for years. And uh, so I got to talk to some of them. The concert started, then it was finished. And if you've been to Thunderbird Stadium, as everybody funnels out of it, it's like a crazy, just like ocean of people. And it's really difficult to get out of there sometimes. But what had happened is it started to rain. It was getting late. Uh, I was in this miserable ocean of people. And as I was walking out trying to get home, I really wanted to get home. 
I hear somebody say, Colin Maxwell? And I'm like, oh, no, because <laughs> I was done socializing. But it was a friend of mine from years ago, a really good buddy of mine named Andrew, Andrew O'Farrell. And uh, he's like, Colin. And I'm like, hey, man, how's it going? I'm like, really hoping it didn't go beyond there. But he was stoked to see me. We were good friends. And he's like, hey, how have you been? And I'm like, I've been good, good. And he's like, hey, I've heard you've made some like really huge changes in your life, which is, of course, like the gospel slow pitch. You know what I mean? It's like, please tell me about Jesus. But I, I'm getting rained on. I have to work in the morning. It's late. I want to leave. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, man, total changes. And I like <laughs> sneak. It's funny, but it's sad at the same time. And I kind of like sneak away. Anyways, we get in the car, we go home. This is, like I said, a Wednesday or something, and I actually forgot about it. Anyways, uh, it was a Saturday. I was um, uh, not at work. Jenna was out with, my wife was out with our baby at the time somewhere, and um, I'm just tootling around, and my phone rings. And it's a number, like it's a, another guy that I knew, and he never phones me, so I'm like, oh, weird. Like, I wonder what he wants. I pick it up, I'm like, hey, it's my friend John from back home, and I'm like, hey, how you doing? He's like, oh, he's like, I'm fine. He's like, but you better sit down. I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, you just better sit, and he's never serious, this guy. I'm like, uh. So anyways, I sit down, and he says, look, man, I hate to tell you this. He's like, but Andrew O'Farrell died yesterday. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, man, I hate to tell you. He's like, I just wanted you to know I knew you guys were buddies, but he died yesterday. And I'm like, <gasps> you know, first of all, I'm sad to hear the news, but then second, I'm remembering myself scuttling away from him as he's asked me very clearly, you know, what is it about you that's changed? And I have this sinking feeling in my heart that he doesn't know God, I refused him the gospel, and he could be somewhere very bad at this moment. And the weight of that is so heavy on my shoulders that I was sitting down. I had my hands, you know, on my face and I was crying because I was so sad. Anyways, a couple, it was like two hours went by and I'm just in this horrible, ugh, anyways. My friend phones back and he said, dude, he's like, I am so sorry. He's like, but my mom made a huge mistake. She read the newspaper wrong, and it was, it's still sad, don't laugh yet, it's still sad, but his brother had passed away, his older brother, and what had happened is the mom had seen the last name O'Farrell, and she just jumped and was like, oh, that's my son's, and then she said to her son, blah, 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 anyways, it was um, fake news, it turned out, but really, it was still tragic that his brother had passed away, but for me, a weight had been I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh my God, I gotta find this guy. But I didn't get his number or anything. I didn't, it was, I never, I didn't use Facebook in those days. I was too cool. And, uh, <laughs> but I was desperate to see him again. I was desperate to make it right. And it's crazy, it must have been Jesus because it was like six days later. I just happened to go into Mountain Equipment Co op on Broadway. And he was like a really tall, unique looking dude. And I'm just in the, you know, walking through, walking around in Mountain Equipment Co-op, and like a ghost, I see him pass in the, <laughs> at the end of the hallway, and I, I th oh, is that him? And so I'm kind of like searching through, and then sure enough, it was him. He was looking at a tent, and I was like, Andrew. And he's like, oh, hey. And I was like, I just went to him, and I, <laughs> I just... 
<laughs> held him. And I was sincere. I was so happy to see him again. And we exchanged numbers, and I had my chance to tell him my story, and I thank God for it every day. Now, I wish I could tell you he became a Christian that night, but that's not the point of the story. The point is, is that God had grace on me, just like he would on you, to share the message that he paid so dearly for us to have a chance to give. So if the um, communion guys can get ready and maybe the worship team can come up, please. And if uh, communion guys, you can start handing it out, please. So are you guys kind of following? Did you see how we got from Isaiah to here? Just nod or say no? Good. I want to just reiterate, there is a consequence for rejecting God. It's super uncomfortable to talk about. You don't want to be bringing it up every time you're meeting with people, but also don't be afraid of it. Luke 12, 12, Jesus says this to his followers, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And that's the thing that I want to end on tonight, is that your Father in heaven, God, He's not left you like an orphan in this outreach. If you participate with the Spirit, if you have your ears open, your heart open, He'll make a way for you to get His message across. And so my hope for this church, for this family, is that we would be fearless in these things. That we wouldn't avoid the difficult aspects of God, of the Bible, of anything, but we would approach it as a different chance to have relationship. So, in conclusion, rejecting God has a consequence, but not sharing what we believe can have a consequence as well. So I want to thank you guys for listening, and uh, let's worship together. I found that really helpful. Um, and as we prepare for communion, it brought to mind, um, actually my dad. <laughs> uh, and when I was in college, I decided I wasn't really interested in God. I didn't think he had much power and I wanted to sin. And my dad all along had told me who God was, but he was always honest about both parts. And I knew that the choice I was making was like I understood that choice. And when I was, I had this moment in college and my dad sat down with me, he cried. It's one of the few times I've seen him cry. And he expressed to me that as, as his, he, he being my father, me, his daughter, that he'd been my covering, but that the choices I was making, he couldn't 
standby that I needed to move out of the house that he owned because it was under it was under him and the choices I was making he just he they were so against God and at the time I very clearly know that God spoke to me because I didn't feel angry at my dad I had this moment where I understood he cared enough about me to do what I know was hard I heard even Pastor Greg talking about sitting with my dad and wondering how to have this conversation because it wasn't going to be easy but my dad loved me enough to say these really hard things and we cried together and I, I didn't turn to God right then it took some time because <laughs> God was doing a thing in my heart but there was something that spoke so loudly to me about a father that would be honest enough to tell his daughter just to, to say I can't cover you in this I can't be there I can still be in relationship with you but you are making choices and there is a consequence to your sin it was one of the hardest moments of my life but it was one of the most powerful moments of my life because my father loved me enough to say the hard thing when we gather here to do communion, communion is a symbol of what Jesus did for us. And, and it's a moment where we get to participate by faith and we get to say that we believe his death is sufficient to cover our sin and the choices we've made to walk away from him, the times that we haven't heeded his warnings. But the good news is he has brought us life. This is a moment where we get to think about the fact that God has brought us life in the face of all of this. So have enough hands to do this. I'm just going to leave those there, but you can imagine that they're there with me. <laughs> uh, in 1 Corinthians, it says, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The bread represents his body broken for us. The man who hated sin, the God who hated our sin, took it on and died for us. He gave us a complete covering with his body to cleanse our sin once and for all. He doesn't excuse our sin, but he covers this. So as we eat this bread, we do this in remembrance of him. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my body. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The wine, this juice, represents his blood shed for us. In the same way that he delays his return so that many people will come to know him, he allows his blood to be shed for our sin. Do this in remembrance of him. God, we are so thankful. You don't just tell us the consequence and leave us to figure it out. <laughs> that would be cruel. God, you tell us the consequence, and then you give us the free gift of your salvation. God, I am amazed and humbled by this gift. A free gift that doesn't have a consequence is nothing. But this free gift in the face of the consequence of our sin is a miracle and it is something that we cannot take for granted God we thank you we thank you first of all for delivering through call on this hard message it's not an easy thing to talk about but then God we thank you that you deliver us from sin and we thank you that we don't have to do this work harder because of consequence we get to receive your free gift 
God, we say in this moment, we want to meet with you and thank you. We look back at our sin. We look forward at a future with you because we are excited to know that you are coming back. You are coming back in power. You are coming back because you love us and you have such an exciting thing ahead for us and we get to participate in it because you have given us eternal life. God, we thank you for that. Thanks, Tara. When you stand with us, we're going to sing some songs together just declaring these truths. I want to sing a song called One Thing Remains. We haven't sang it in a while. Uh, it's a classic, but I uh, thought it would fit well for what was just talked about. And uh, I'm just so grateful that despite sometimes the things that confuse me about who God is, and sometimes the things that I don't fully understand, uh, how he can be just in the face of all this evil, uh, it's so helpful for me to remember that there's this one thing that remains, and that's his love. And uh, let's press in uh, as we worship on that truth, that his love never fails.
Your love is so powerful. Your love is so present. And, and, and thank you for this, this, this message today. Uh, and I pray that we would see uh, through this that, Father, that your, your love is so great that you would call us to something. Your love for us is so real and so tangible uh, that it can't help but to be a good father, as Tara was saying, that, to, to say the things that, God, thank you for loving us so much that you're willing to say the hard thing, that you're willing to lead us into difficult places. God, we don't want to have a faith uh, and a relationship with you that's just surface, that's just what we can gain, that's just what we can get, that's just what makes us feel good. God, we want to have a relationship with you that is powerful and that has uh, uh, the ability to change lives, because it does, Father. We thank you that you're, that you're mighty and that you're strong and that you're powerful and that you have a plan to save this world. So God, I pray that through a message like this, we wouldn't pick it apart and, 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 and see the things that we all understand, even though there are things that I don't understand sometimes. But God, would we trust in the fact that you are good ultimately, that you are God that has power and that has the ability to change all these things. And so I pray that we would celebrate that. And thank you for communion as just this reminder of what it is, uh, this reminder of how you conquered death, of how you made a way for us to even be in relationship with you, that it's not even about us overcoming all these things, and it's not even just warnings anymore. It's, it's a warning and a way out. It's, it's a warning and salvation. So God, we thank you uh, for how powerful you are and that you made a way for us. Amen. I'd like to sing uh, one more song as we end just to celebrate this. Uh, I think it's a good news message, so <laughs> go ahead, Ray. You can put your hands together. It kind of helps us. There we go. 